Hi and welcome to The Three Good Podcast, a weekend podcast where I talk about all things to do with positive psychology, well-being, resilience, mental health and emotional intelligence. I'm your host, Sukhpavia. Hi folks and welcome to episode 44 of The Three Good Podcast. Today is a review of the book Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. So before I get to the review, just going to check in with you folks. How are we doing? Feels like that with the sunny bank holiday that we are currently experiencing in the UK, there is some real nice optimism in the air about uh, the restrictions starting to be a bit more relaxed as of next week in the UK. Uh, non-essential shops and retail and entertainment can all start to open up again. Very much looking forward to that. Uh, means that I'll be able to go to a restaurant again, sit down with my friends, see people I love and start to regain some sense of regular living folks. I'm looking forward to it. The sunshine really helps. And uh, even though last Monday we had the hottest March in uh, in many years, and then not more than seven days later, it has been snowing over here in Epping Forest. I find that just so crazy and just bizarre, even though that's happened. There is much to be grateful for. The vaccination program in the UK is going incredibly well. I myself have my vaccination due on Wednesday this week which I'm very much looking forward to receiving because the more of us who partake means that we strengthen everybody else's immunity along the way. We do get to reach this concept of maybe not herd immunity, but certainly immunity in the community and that better protects more people. So I am looking forward to that. So back to the book, Sapiens. So last year, beginning of lockdown one, I decided I was going to buy myself a a set of books that I was aware of, that I knew had received a fair amount of uh, critical kind of reviews and uh, many different people had read and I was just behind on. I haven't haven't given myself the time to do proper reading in, uh, in, in a long time. So last year I set about reading Grit and I managed to complete it within the first month of lockdown actually. Um, And that's on episode 36 if you want to go back and have a listen to that one. And uh, since then um, I've only managed to read one other book and that's Sapiens. Part of the reason that it's taken me a long time to do this, and it's taken me probably about four, maybe five months to complete reading it. Sapiens is not an easy read. Um, it's, it's a book where I found it quite challenging in lots of places. I was tested a lot. And when I say I was tested a lot, um, I don't mean that the book has tests or assessments in it, but the way that Harari it writes, it tests what you think you understand um, about human history, um, our evolution over the centuries, 
and he writes from a very in here so he is a historian and he writes from a a strong um, macro historical perspective so he looks at everything that's happened um, within the context of everything um, so he doesn't look at say for example world war ii in in the context of how did it start how did the war unfold and what happened next he looks at it in the context of well what was happening in the century before that how did we reach the point where world war ii could even be possible in terms of the science and the economic growth of the different countries and um how did the agricultural revolution play a part in this which started off you know, centuries before so he properly takes this bird's eye view um and really challenges you to to consider what you think you understand about um many different pieces that he goes through so i guess that's just my first kind of bit of fair warning to you folks yeah if you if you're going to go into the book um, it is a worthwhile read just be uh just be warned that it, it is not an easy read because it does force you to have to really confront some um, some strong writing from uh, from Harari. And uh, the other piece that I found a bit difficult to deal with is because it deal because he's dealing with lots of historical data and evidence. Um, <clears throat> it takes a, it took me a while to just kind of really make sure I was tuned into how he was describing things um, because he'll easily jump from one historical fact and piece of evidence to something else and create lines of logic which um, which are persuasive and compelling and uh, it's, it's and so it's also important to be able to just take a step back from that and just examine it for yourself yeah you know, would you reach the same conclusion just because he's got there doesn't mean that you've got there as well um, and, it's, and it's at the moment, it's a bit tough for me to provide an example because I'm not the type of reader who goes through and underlines stuff and makes notes about things. I just tend to consume whole and then allow my own reflections afterwards to come later. So he he begins right up right at the early kind of outset of you know what does it mean to be a human being, yeah, a Homo sapien, and I, he starts from a very interesting place of yeah, essentially saying that homo sapiens wiped out all other species of the homo kind of variety and i kind of i guess i'd either willingly forgot that that might have been the case or um or it may have been the first time i'd, I'd ever come across this type of um insight really that of course there would be other types of um species um you know, we couldn't have just evolved just from being a solo species we look at the many types of animals that are in existence today you know there are many different uh, you know, if you look at dogs and cats for example then it, there's not just one type of dog or cat there are numerous uh, so similarly it makes sense to it makes sense that humans as we are, as we are today homo sapiens have evolved in in very similar ways but actually how he describes it and this is interesting is homo sapiens were able to come together in a way that wiped out all of the other species and there were new and there were many other species that lived in all parts of the globe um and there uh and essentially homo sapiens had the capacity the cognitive 
um, capacity to be able to um, advance their capability between themselves and the other species did not go through the same cognitive revolution and so they were overcome they were overwhelmed by this new group these these sapiens as we are today and and from there it's just a relentless relentless look at and a very dispassionate look at the history of um the earth in the lens of kind of you know the, the last 70 odd thousand years that homo sapiens have been around which also is very interesting in the millions of years that the earth has existed humans have only been around in that kind of 70,000 year period and actually it's in the last two to four thousand years that we've probably caused the most damage to just everything around us and then that's his take right is uh, is that homo sapiens are are a destructive group collectively we tend to do more harm to pretty much everything that's around us and of course over the last say two centuries we've gone through some radical improvements in life expectancy medical advancements scientific revolution like all of these have been incredibly important and improved many many factors of life um, but at the same time it's brought about some of the worst atrocities in human history as well um, and that, that that just seems to be a regular feature of being in the kind of group of sapiens that we are so do you get me do you see how i'm saying it's a testing thing like it's already test i'm i'm recounting this stuff and i'm on and i'm i'm revisiting like i am there is an emotional charge to his writing and it is uh it it does um but like i said it's quite a dispassionate look as well it's it's just showing things point blank this is how it is these are facts these are data this is evidence and of course it's his interpretation and of course it's his line of argument um so yeah let's keep going so you know one of the other things that he talks about as the as early man is as we started to explore new lands and you know don't forget most i say don't forget you know one of the most compelling things that he he writes about is how um you know, sapiens originated from africa that was um for want of a better phrase that is all of our homeland so it doesn't matter where you were it doesn't matter where you live in the world today our ancestral heritage is african which is super interesting um because he he does go through later in the book about how europe became the epicenter of growth um, and from there we expanded out into um you know, in terms of economic development scientific development um that there was something specific about what happened in in the european territories compared to african territories and say the asian uh, asia pacific territories as well uh, so from from Africa, from our original uh, original days, and when we started to expand out into Europe, out towards Asia, further down towards Australia, and eventually, once we did, once we ended up getting over to America, um, how every place that we've been to, we have pretty much destroyed the local uh, forestry or agriculture, no agriculture, uh, local forestry or 
uh, animals that are there because um, if you consider it before man would have entered into any of those spaces there was a uh, a natural way for each of those places to thrive they had their own ecosystem and the ecosystem worked in harmony with the with the, all the species that were living there you know um all living vegetate all living animals as well as vegetation plants etc and then once man arrived and decided to start chopping things down and creating huts and you know keeping pets and taming different animals or hunting animals for food and what have you we've fundamentally changed the way each of those things exists and that's that's really interesting because much of what may have existed um say 30 40,000 years ago we would not find in today's world because there is no way there's no chance that they could have survived because the ecosystem within which they thrived was fundamentally destroyed by sapiens coming in and um, taking over that space which is again just quite a it's a fascinating piece because it just raises questions around uh, yeah, where, where there possible um, uh, thriving situations that we could learn from today, but we can't because we don't have them available to us. You know, from a scientific medical perspective, uh, you know, could there have been things in existence? That would help us today we would never know because we can't ever go back and know the the dna of those structures and what they could have done for us so that's one piece that he, he really um spent some time going into and effectively that cognitive revolution advances loads of things right um it creates things like um he, he um he calls them ideas you know um, and he says the concept of ideas grows and it becomes something that you can connect with other people around and the first kind of ideas were things like uh, as a group we can do these we can achieve a, a certain kind of um, adventure you know we can go on this uh, cruise and find not cruise but you know we can go on this boat explore this new world and claim claim it you know conquer it because it's ours we have a right over it uh, which is interesting because the concept of ideas then advances to other things such as um, how do we create a form of currency within which to trade goods because money didn't wasn't really a thing well it wasn't didn't didn't exist for a long time um, even the early forms of writing or uh, you know, things uh, or, or capturing anything in any kind of art form were rudimentary at best yeah, nearly everything was delivered through spoken word so the very concept of being able to capture things um, in a in a written form you know to have ledgers for business uh, you know for kings and stuff like this um you know for their uh for the kingdoms that they uh, ran um you know through to how you bring the people together to think that yeah, we should all come um follow this type of either thinking or religion or something like that and those ideas have kept with us you know over the many thousands of years through to today where uh, you know we have some incredibly strong ideas around capitalism around consumerism around 
well-being, health, um, around uh, you know, different forms of um, psychology, philosophy. We have so many different ways of thinking about the world today <clears throat> because we've allowed ourselves that capacity to keep developing that sense of um, intellectual prowess. And at a certain point, um, what, the way the Harari describes this is, yeah, at one point we were a very um, uh, living off the land type of people until we realized that there might have been a certain type of growth or a certain type of plant that we could harvest and that we could plant and regrow that essentially gave rise to the agricultural revolution which fundamentally shifted how we are as a people. Um, sapiens, when they were first um, around, were a very nomadic type of people. So we would quite happily just go from one part of um, where we were to the next part, not giving any thought to having to set down roots, form a camp, not for any kind of permanent length of time. We might do it because um, the seasons are changing, so we move according to the seasons, or we move because there's a certain migration of animal that we might want to follow. But essentially, you ate what was available to you. You didn't, you didn't harvest, you didn't keep um, a farm um, in any kind of way to either grow animals to kill them to eat them, or you didn't grow plant, uh, not plants. You didn't grow food in order to harvest it and create other meals from. Right? It just didn't. It wasn't a thing. So when we, as sapiens, started to develop this concept of farming and that we could keep out a piece of land, it actually became worse for us, which is quite counterintuitive because you might think, oh, great, you know, we can create farming. And as we know it today, it allows us to grow different crops and different food types. Uh, we can keep animals of various sorts and that allows us to um, to obviously live as we do today but in those early times of when they were still at the for, um, early thinking around how you do all this it became a very hard task to do you were at the mercy of the seasons you had to learn about how the seasons worked there could be potential famine because of bad weather there could be um, attacks from animals who are trying to also get to the crops that you're growing or to the animals that you're keeping and so suddenly we became protective over things which we were never protective over before which is an interesting development for us and it's it's that shift from being a nomadic uh, very immaterial type of person to suddenly being protective over the land that you own because if you don't it's at risk and and suddenly from there things start to advance as well to um, being about trade and how do you trade with another neighboring farm or uh, travelers coming through who might want to do some um, you might want to help or might want to take some of the crops that you've got or uh, in exchange for goods or services and uh you know from there just things just keep um improving about how things um 
work in the world. But again, it all becomes quite task driven, quite hard labor driven stuff, which we've had to develop then tools about how to do these things. And they're not just tools, but you have to develop systems and processes. You know, you know, things have to be done at certain times in order to be made efficient. And although original farming wasn't necessarily efficient, it was certainly more of an organized process than just living off the land. And I think about this in, um, in terms of where I am today, comfortable home um, in a nice village in a London suburb. I don't ever have to worry about farming. I don't ever have to worry about foraging for food. The ease at which we have access to food, um, drink, health, medicine, services is ridiculously easy compared to what it would have been just a few thousand years ago, let alone centuries ago. So, you know, before economies uh, really started to form and huge kingdoms started to become a thing, you know, when you had your own just plot of land that you were living off of. It also changed the diet of, um, of of most humans as well. So where we had the capability of being able to pretty much live off of anything that was around us, we became restricted to things like wheat, barley, etc. Because that became our mainstay, you know, rice and what have you. Um, and that also then developed other certain types of food groups that we tend to enjoy today as well right which is is interesting because um, again it kind of comes down to um, you know the evolution that we went through as 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 a human species so anyway let's keep going so from there um, yeah, he starts to talk about how uh, religions of the world came about this is really interesting because ah before the major religions of the world started to take over and become evangelical about uh, what they were doing and go on crusades to convert other people to their religion, there were numerous, numerous other religions and most of them were quite localized religions. So, what, and he described this in a really interesting way. You might have a set of neighboring islands where um, you may have had natural um, migration of uh, people from one island to another because they were just explorers and they were doing that. And at each island, then they would have developed their own practices around worshipping either the land or worshipping um, uh, the kind of natural elements. And they tended to be the, the key things that you worshipped. You didn't tend to believe in gods as such. The belief in gods came much later, whereas you tended to, it might have been a tree, or it might have been a particular plot of land, or it might have been a particular animal. They would have tended to have been the things that people would have paid homage to, created practices around. And, um, and in many cases, it was, uh, you know, you, you, you decided that your, uh, uh, desires and that your wishes were met or not because of how well or not you paid homage to these gods. Not gods. Gods, not gods. But what they, what most people were, were very uninterested in doing was they didn't care about spreading that word. They just cared about keeping to their rituals and their practices because it worked for them. 
And it wasn't until you had the um, the kind of um, development of Christianity, of Judaism, of Islam, of Buddhism, that we really started to see that there was uh, uh, this this different approach to religion that I could go out and I could preach, and I could convert, and uh, I could speak to masses and bring them on side. And actually, if I didn't like your religion, I would force you to convert. And along the way, what ended up happening as well is many local traditions were just swallowed up into the the main religion. So this is why even within, uh, say, for example, Christianity or within Islam, there may still be lots of different practices depending on the country you visit where they're practicing it or the local town that you're going to where they might have um, an, uh, uh, that religion as their main religion. And it may be different practice to what you might do as a practicing person of one of those religions is because the local practices just became part of the the religion because it was easier for people to say um, we'll, we'll just assimilate that's fine we will let go of our religion fall under yours um, without force and at the same time what just ended up happening was those local practices just became part of um, accepted practice which is quite interesting about how um, kind of uh, religions of the world just got swallowed up um, and then along this concept as well was this concept uh, of religions became this thing about good and bad. Where does good exist? Where does bad exist? And that is also interesting to me because um, as somebody who is interested in um, the, the power of faith and the power of religion uh, for human uh, development, um, yeah, it's interesting to me to, to consider um, you know, how is it that there are some religions that have very clear concepts around good, bad, evil, heaven, hell, devils, gods, you know, worthy gods, not worthy gods, angels, demons, all of these kind of things, is uh, is because in some way, what uh, for these ideas to have success, what the uh, leaders had to do was come up with a way to help you to say, if you do X, it falls under a good category. If you do Y, it falls under a Y uh, bad category. And um, we want to see you do more of the good, so stick to that stuff. And if you do the bad stuff, then you're going to go to hell. And these interesting concepts then arise around heaven, hell, you, angels are on your side, demons are attacking you, and the way that affects your psyche, because it, you're you're seeding your agency to an extent to these beings that you can't see we don't know where they exist and you know, it it remains one of the ongoing debates amongst philosophers people of all sorts about you know, does god exist is there a being of some sort that is all powerful all knowing um or and if there is does that mean there's a concept of hell and the devil so super interesting stuff to to really start to work your head around and of course with all of these religions come rituals and practices which uh, you know some of which are lost to history 
um, and uh, you know th this is also an interesting piece that the different kingdoms and different types of uh, you know you develop rules and you develop um, you know common law common practice all of these things come out from uh, things around uh, the agricultural revolution how religion started to become part of the world because um, over time things start to need to get regulated you can't just have too much free thought happening because if you have too much free thought then you have too many people going about doing their own things in their own way and the way most states nations operate is common set of laws an agreed set of practices and although you can have individual variation by and large practice looks like this yeah so if you're um, an if you're uh, practicing a religion it has to look like a certain practice um, there might be variations on it but it will tend to be agreed you know if you're living in a land there are laws to abide by um, yeah, if you're running a business there are regulations that you have to follow and all these things come about which is super interesting just kind of the, the complexity that we brought into the world from being these nomadic types who were going around and living off the land to suddenly being these incredibly sophisticated beings who create rules and jobs around all sorts of things which who knew that um, we would need people to worry about things like uh, um, corporate law yeah, who knew that we would need to do protect things like patents and uh, you know, um, IP of ideas and things like this, which is uh, which leads us on to the scientific revolution. Actually, um, I'm jumping around. I'm not necessarily following the kind of uh, path of the book, so you know, just just <laughs> go with me, I suppose, folks. And the scientific revolution, um, and actually Harari makes a really interesting point around the strong, strong link between scientific revolution and capitalism, in that capitalism is is all about free markets and our ideas and how we can use those to advance what we do as a people. But it hinges directly on the scientific revolution, and this is what Harari argues, that without investment from people who have capital scientists would not be able to advance what they do you know so it's not just about whether or not um, a certain type of um, scientific um, innovation happens because a government um, or a nation has the funds to, to be able to invest into that type of R&D research development type activity it's about also you know are there private investors who you can go to and this is a lot of how you know modern day tech developments and scientific developments take place is you find a, a somebody who has the the wealth to be able to give you that money um, so that you can uh, so that you can explore further in terms of what these things mean um, and I'm going to take a step back, actually, because uh, that just reminded me about how eco uh, world economies developed, right? And um, um, because he, he, Harari spent some time really going through, uh, you know, why is it that some countries of the world developed at a different rate? And in particular, why is it that we see countries in Africa, for example, 
who have not historically done as economically successfully um, as, say, for example, the European countries, which is, um, you know, one of the things that he um, essentially says is that within the European states and countries, you had um, investors, you had people who were creating, who had wealth and money, who could um, um, invest in and provide money for um, for explorers to go off and do their thing. So within Europe, you had a, an appetite of people who were willing to go on ships, spend months of their time at sea, find new lands, find new spices, goods, services that they could trade with others, come back, claim it as being as part as for the country that they're from, and then uh, sell uh, sell it all at a profit, creating more money for the people who are invested in it. Whereas uh, many African countries were just not interested in that kind of exploration. It didn't matter to them whether or not they, you know, it didn't matter um, to, let's say, for example, a Niger uh, Nigeria, um, if they went off and explored and found America and created a trade link between them because it wasn't part of how the country was developing. Whereas within uh, European countries, it was very uh, there was just something there about the exploration that was possible and the wealth being created by people willing to invest into uh, these explorers, which then does lead on to the scientific revolution because then you had wealth coming into people doing the work. So this, and this is where I uh, was saying earlier that um, Harari really takes us on a, it's a rapid journey of, um, of how things develop and also very, like I said, a very macro view, which is, is certainly a very interesting way to just think about the world. Um, and, uh, you know, if we, if we just keep with that, I also just want to, you know, in thinking about the way that explorers used to explore um, and the, the way that they used to um, go around and find different countries and what have you, you know, one of the things that he talks about in the book is how slavery used to happen. I f you know, you forget this as well. I certainly did. Uh, slavery in the um, in in, his in the historical times, um, slavery was a very common activity. It wasn't something limited to um, uh, the, the rich people. Slaves were just a part of how you ran a household or how you ran your farm or it, um, you know, if you had a village or a town, how things operated. People were bought on a very, very regular basis, bought and sold on a regular basis. And, and this is the important part for me, it wasn't, it wasn't limited to black people. It was people of all colour. And so it was a problem that certainly became, uh, it was a problem that was already present that slavery was how we just did things. And what ended up happening um, as time was going on and um, explorers on their ships went out to different countries is, uh, and especially when they went to African countries, was they just stole people from those countries to do work for them. And these were people who didn't even ever, who had never, um, entered into concepts of uh, economies, capitalism, 
making money and what have you because they were not because they were living in a way which was um, true to what they needed you know, they were um, not bothered about these things such as um, accumulating wealth or what have you because it just wasn't part of the the way that they had developed for themselves as a, uh, as a group of people so when these invaders came these explorers and they um, stole these people brought them onto the ships and created a different type of slavery and uh, and in the other countries what was happening at the same time was that type of slavery was just becoming less than norm is when we then start to become a more understanding of how slavery of black people became um, a real problem for us as a people where um, and I think this is true um, around the thinking of where we've reached today is um, this type of action happened centuries ago it was done under a type of thinking where typically white people Europeans did not care about the welfare of these or not even just the welfare just didn't care about these black people that they were taking to be their slaves when they landed in places like America and brought them over to Europe and other countries um, what they were what they continued to do was just keep them as slaves eventually when slavery was abolished and you had to employ the same people they just kept doing the same work and the same roles so for that group of people in particular black people what was never made available to them was the same levels of education the same levels of civil rights and the same levels of equality because they were never seen as that when they were originally made to be part of um, uh, the, the, the world of Europeans which is really interesting and of course today in today's world we have modern slavery problems around human trafficking and how people still are uh, exploiting particularly children um, immigrants who are coming over to mostly Western countries in particular the UK had a problem with it which is why the modern Sla modern slavery act was introduced where um, you know in uh, in um, businesses where you could easily hire people literally off the street they would often be here as a result of human trafficking and they are being forced into labor um, and if not labor just free work because of because that's how modern slavery is working so it's really just interesting how these things have even though in one form slavery was abolished it's come back in a different way uh, and then you know where um, Harari eventually takes us is to say that um, you know war itself is a very interesting concept because it used to be something which you would um, as a as a people you would always be afraid of that it could always happen to your country or your town or your city within which you live because a neighboring city or town may want to just come at war with you to either take your land or take your people or your goods or um, you know the, the, the um, whatever it is that you had available to you and it's only really since 
uh, the atom bomb was created, which is really interesting, that um, nations had the power to literally wipe out all life that we have realized actually it's better to live in peace and in the main peace has been a mainstay of how we have lived over the last let's say let's say since the end of the second world war interestingly i don't think that holds um because he he talks about war in terms of uh regular war that is happening on an ongoing basis and in particular international war so he looks in particular at things like um world war one world war two and then talks about bigger conflicts such as what's going on in israel palestine and what happened with korea what happened with vietnam um and certain civil wars as well and i think what's interesting about that is um he's been a, i think he's been dismissive in some way although probably not what he intended to do i think he's been dismissive of the impact of the wars that we're still seeing happen in today's world and he was writing this in 2014 so at the time there were also not a lot of the um uh conflicts that we have going on in the world today so certainly the plight of the yemenis the rohingyas yeah that that was not as significant as it has been to in the last couple of years back um and this was only 2014 so it wasn't that long ago but there were certainly um conflicts happening at that time which i think he has downplayed because he's trying to suggest that even with those conflicts at play we are still collectively in a in a more um improved state for hum humanity than we ever have been I get that i do like you know advancements in science medical history medical science um, you know technology all of these things have advanced the way that we many of us are able to live um i, I think what it's what he's not been able to really get into is what's the impact of these things on inequality um which he doesn't even try to address so i'm not even saying that he should have tried to get into this it just raises for me that uh even though there have been advancements in lots and lots of ways um it seems that one of the fallacies of being human is we will always have this problem of trying to feel that we are better than others and in thinking we're better than others we create systems and policies that enables some to be better than others and you know one of the interesting things that he does look at in the book is the concept of intelligence and how intelligence itself of people who would have been around in say 40,000 years ago would not have been at any different level of intelligence to where we are today it's just today we have systems that allow for the intelligence to be developed and focused um, through an education system through a working system through the state and help um, you know uh, nations and what we do with science and what have you which is more available to us today than it uh, and if you consider like before any of these institutions or anything like apprenticeships um, even existed 
there was no real way within which to take a person's level of intelligence and hold it up as a valuable thing in society because no one cared you know the concept of valuing intelligence and what it can do for productivity didn't wasn't ever really a thing when we were nomadic people who were just going around and living off the land and having to move quite regularly during the year and didn't matter how smart you were it was more important to just survive whereas in today's world because of all of these different advancements that we've been speaking about we've reached a point where intelligence is so highly valued uh, but what it doesn't do is it doesn't account for inequalities because just because somebody is smart doesn't mean that they are necessarily better off there are still many other things that could and still do get in the way in terms of injustices unfair practices prejudices biases and all of those things that come with that right folks i think that's it <laughs> that's been quite a review i hope it's been a helpful review uh, if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast please do do the things that help to make this thing get seen uh, like it on apple podcast leave a review if you can we are on all of the uh, normal podcast platforms spotify google apple podcasts podbean so you can catch this wherever you need to folks I hope you're well and I will catch you on the next episode.